Pastor Xavier Reese tells us there are no sidelines in the Christian journey, today on Simple Truths. Opposition from without. It's always going to be there. Opposition from without is ever-present, every form of attack. And as long as you're doing nothing for the kingdom, they'll kind of let you just slide. Do you want really intense warfare? Get serious about God. Begin to get active for God. And boy, you will have everything break loose. I guarantee you. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Whether you're a top athlete, successful in business, or studying in a top-ranked university, you understand one thing. Nothing worthwhile comes by taking the easy way out. And that's the same principle Pastor Xavier digs out of his current study in the book of Nehemiah. He brings us these simple truths in today's message, A Call to Warfare. Let's listen. And so what we want to do tonight is uh, look at Nehemiah and gain some insight regarding our call to warfare. The call to warfare is marked by three things. First, opposition from without. Okay? It's always going to be there. Opposition from without is ever-present, but not ever-active. Okay? Remember that. Opposition from without is ever-present, but not always ever-active. So when you're going through a war zone and you kind of feel like you're not being bombarded, don't be deceived. The enemy's out there. Secondly, when a believer commits himself or herself to the work of God, there will be uh, every form of attack. Every form of attack. Realize that at this point for 13 years, the enemy had allowed them to be there because they were doing nothing to build the walls. And as long as you're doing nothing for the kingdom, he'll kind of let you just slide. But you want... Really intense warfare? Get serious about God. Begin to get active for God. And boy, you will have everything break loose. I guarantee you. Now notice as we jump over to chapter 6, verse 1 through 9, we have here in response to their determination, the opposition from without. It says, Now it happened when Sambalat, Tobiah, Gershom, and the Arab, and the rest of the enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall, and that there were no breaks left in it, though at that time I had not hung the doors in the gates, that Sambalar and Gershom sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. And so I sent messages to them, saying, I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent me this message four times, and I answered them in the same manner, then Sambalas sent his servants to me as before, the fifth time with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, it is reported among the nations, the Gershom says, that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall that you may be their king. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king. So come, therefore, and let us take counsel together. Now, notice in response to their determination, this letter came, okay, these attacks. Notice first in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 6. The reaction of the enemy when they heard that the wall had been joined was to do Nehemiah harm. This is the ultimate thing. There are times when Christians become so obedient to God and so effective for God that their life is in physical danger. We see it through history. 
it does come to that sometimes. Notice also there also the method of the enemy was to allure Nehemiah from the work in verse 2. Now they should have used another place. That it was a dead giveaway. They wanted him to come to the plain of Ono. And that was really his answer to them. Oh no. Um, <laughs> I have nothing to talk to you about. We're enemies. Don't be a lord. You got to be careful. In verse 3. The response of Nehemiah was, I am doing a great work. That's good. I'm doing a great work. Why? It's God's work. So that I cannot come down, why should the work cease while I leave it to go down to you? No way. Then notice in verse 4 through 7, the reaction of the enemy was persistent. Mark that well. They called him four times. And the fifth time, they sent an open letter accusing him of rebelling against the king, making himself a king, and setting up prophets to declare it. Ooh. Now, when, they, when this happens, right away, what do we want to do? Uh-uh, I didn't... See, that pulls us in, right? Spurgeon said you have to have a good eye and a bad eye. So I qualify there. <laughs> then he said you have to have a good ear and a bad ear. And you've got to be able to discern as a pastor the fires that are going on within the camp or from without the camp, and some of them you just ignore. They'll go out by themselves. And others you have to deal with. And others, just as you walk by, you spit on them, they'll go out. You know what I mean? You've got to discern, because if you go around trying to clear everything up, boy, you don't have time for anything. What does the enemy do? He distracts me, and he pulls me out from study, from prayer, from doing what I have to. And then when I get up here in the pulpit, I'm not ready, and he's just laughing. Because he's been very ineffective as he dis distracts me from my calling. We have to become wise. In verse 8, the rebuke from Nehemiah is that these facts are false and inventions of their own hearts. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you are saying being done. But you invented them in your own heart. And then notice in the first portion of verse 9, the insight of Nehemiah is keen to recognize their desire to put fear in them, weaken their hand, and cause the work to cease. He says, for they all were trying to make me afraid, saying their hands will be weakened in the work and it will not be done. He knew exactly where they were coming from. That's good. And then also the rest of verse 9 there, notice the response of Nehemiah was to pray for for personal strength as a leader, for he was the example to all who looked upon him. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. You see, the people have their eyes on the leader. What is he going to do? How is he going to handle it? And when he does it the way God wants it, whoa, what a benefit to the people we're looking on. But when he blows it, he does it in his own flesh, oh, what a damage to the people. What a stumbling to the people. Do you see the awesome responsibility behind leadership? See, all people see in leadership is, oh, power, you rule, you know, and all this. I don't know. There's more to that. There's a lot of responsibility and accountability. And the only reason we are able to lead is because we're good followers of Jesus Christ. If you cannot be led by God, you will never be able to lead others. There is no way. This is the opposition from without. Now, we look now to the opposition from within. 
The opposition from within is found in chapter 5, verse 1 through 19. And then we jump back to chapter 6, verse 10, down to 14. This is the most destructive and dangerous of the two. Opposition from without is bad. But the most dangerous is opposition from within. You know why? Very simple. You guys ever heard of Benedict Arnold? He was more dangerous than all of the British Empire. You know why? Because he was trusted and he had access to within. This is always the most dangerous in the work of God. People from within. First we see in chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, that opposition from within is by the exploitation of God's people from within. And there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against the Jewish brethren. For there were those who said, We are sons and our daughters um, are many. Therefore, let us get grain for them that we may eat and live. And there were all, also some who said, We have mortgaged our lands and vineyards and houses that we might buy grain because of the famine. And there were also those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our lands and vineyards. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children, and indeed we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters are brought into the slavery already. It is not in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and our vineyards. By exploitation of God's people from within. When this happens, it's terrible. Notice first in verse 1, their identity are Jews, their brethren. Their own people are doing this to them. They're merchandising them. Now, you talk about merchandising today. Look to the church. There's a lot of merchandising going on in the name of Jesus. In verse 2, their need was of what? Food. In verse 3, they mortgaged their, holes, their, their, their houses. And then in verse 4, they mortgaged for tax money. And then in verse 5, their present state was what? Bondage. There's a real cause going on here. God has called them to a work, and there are always those who want to make a buck, do they not? Where are they from? From within. Notice, secondly, in verses 6 to 19, it's by the condemnation of the opposition. Opposition from within is demonstrated here by the condemnation of the opposition. In verse 6, he says, And I became very angry, this is Nehemiah, when I heard their uh, outcry and these words. After serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and the rulers and said to them, Each of you is exacting usury from his brethren. So I called a great assembly against them. And I said to them, According to our ability, we have redeemed our, our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nations. Now, indeed, will you even sell your brethren? Or should they be sold to us? Then they were silenced and found nothing to say. Then I said, what you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? I also, with my brethren and my servants, am leading them or lending them money and grain. Please let us stop this usury. Restore now to them, even this day, their lands, their vineyards, their olive, their groves, their houses, their hundred parts of the money and the grain, the new wine and the oil, and that you have charged them. And so they said, we will restore it and we will require nothing from them. We will do as you say. Then I called the priests and required an oath from them that they would do according to their promise. 
And then I shook off the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out each man from his house and from his property who does not perform this promise. Even thus may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the congregation said, Amen. And they praised the Lord. Then the people did according to the promise. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year until the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, 12 years, neither I nor my brethren ate the governor's provisions. But the former governor who had been before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver. Yes, even their servants bore rule over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. Indeed, I also continued the work of this, on this wall, and we did not buy any land. All my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 Jews and rulers besides those who came to us from the nations around us. Now, that which was prepared for me daily was one ox and six choice sheep, also uh, fowl, were prepared for me, and one every ten days, in abundance of all kinds of wine. Uh, yet in spite of this, I did not demand the governor's provisions because the bondage was heavy on this people. Remember me, my God, for good according to all that I have done for this people. And Nehemiah keeps reminding God all the time of the work that he's doing. Now, notice here, verses 6 through 19, that it's by the condemnation of the oppression. Nehemiah does not put up with it. Let's go through it. He was very angry, and rightly so. That's exactly the way he should respond in any leader. Righteous anger. He rebukes their sin of usury. They were charging incredible interest. Now, Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy condemned that. They were not to take interest of their brethren. In verse 8, he rebukes their sin of greed. He points to the heart of it. Will you even sell your brethren? Or should they be sold to us? And they were silenced. They got busted. Verse 9, he rebukes their sin of not fearing God. And here's the heart of the real issue. When you stop fearing God, it is amazing the things that you will do, the things that you will give yourself over to. You just walk away from the fear of God. And let me tell you, you won't fear nothing because you think you're God now. And you get yourself in deep trouble. Then in verse 10, he rebukes their sin of not having compassion on the people. I also, with my brethren and my servants, am lending them money and grain. Please let us stop this usury. Come on. Have some heart. And in verse 11, he pleads for restoration. That it is the mark of repentance. Notice that. Restore now to them. Even this day, not tomorrow, right now. Whenever we ask somebody to do, oh, okay, I'll do it tomorrow. No, no, right now. <laughs> and if they gave the money back, that would be at least physical evidence of repentance, right? Now, when there's no physical evidence, then we just, we don't have any real evidence, do we? Only time. They were charging 1% a month. Whew, that's pretty high. These guys just came out of captivity. <laughs> you talk about gouging them. In verse 12, repentance is demonstrated. So they said, we will restore it and we will require nothing of them. But I love verse 13. 
He gives a righteous warning of insincere repentance. Then I shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out each one from his house and from his property who does not perform this promise. <laughs> That's good. In verse 12, notice look what he did. He asked them to take an oath with the priest. Okay? Nehemiah didn't take their word. So you swore on it, man. <laughs> when you find somebody ripping them off, you know, you, got, you need a little more evidence. You know what I mean? You don't take their word for it. You need some tangible evidence. The physical demonstration here in verse 13 is very graphic, very picturesque. Dusting, shaking the dust off. He says, may God do also to you as he, if you don't perform it. And then from verse 14 on down to 19, you have the righteous dealing with the people in Nehemiah's life. He puts himself as an example. Listen, I didn't take no money from the king and I always provided for my own table and he goes on to give us all the specifics about it. He's the leader. He is the example, right? How can you lead if, and lay a heavy burden on people if you're not willing to do the same? Now, thirdly, opposition from within is by the infiltration of God's people from without. Infiltration of God's people from without. You get this in chapter 6, verse 10 through 14. Afterwards, I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mechatabil, who was in secret informer. And he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. Indeed, at night they will come to kill you. And I said, should such a man as I flee? And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all, but that he pronounced his prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalah had hired him. For this reason, he was hired that I should be afraid and act that way and sin so that they might have occasion for an evil report that they might reproach me. My God remembered Tobiah and Sambalat according to their works and the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who would have made me afraid. So notice here thirdly, by the infiltration of God's people from without. Notice in verse 10 first, the enemy was Shemaiah, a secret informer. He had intermarried to the enemy. You find that in Ezra 10, 13, and also Nehemiah 3, 4, 6, 18, 13, 4. He had intermarried. The plan was subtle. First, to get Nehemiah to enter the temple and sin. Why? Because he wasn't a priest. He had no business in the temple, right? <laughs> he wanted him to look after his own skin. Notice, secondly, to instill fear and cause him to sin. Ooh, that's an interesting insight. When I let a fear grip my heart, what am I doing? I'm sinning. Why? I'm not trusting God. And this way they would have an occasion of evil report against him. They would be able to point their finger at him. To who? To the people. If you can knock the leader down, the people dissemble. Notice in verse 11, 12, we see the response. Should such a man as I flee? Such a man as what? A man called to serve, work, and warfare? How can you flee? You're called to serve, work, and warfare. <laughs> Secondly, verse 11 also, should I go into the temple who am not a priest and save my own life? You see, if he did, he would lose his own life for sure. 
because they would isolate him from the people and kill him. Jesus said, you seek to save your life, you lose it. You lose it for my sake, hey, you've saved it. And notice also, he would discourage the others if he did that. Then no, notice in verse 12, thirdly, he perceived he was not sent from God. Nehemiah is a clear-headed leader. In the midst of all the turmoil that goes on, he's able to work through things. He knew God's written word, his revealed word. That was the first key. He knew he was called. He knew his mission. Do you know your mission in life? And that's the key, not being distracted. You stay on target. And then notice in verse 14, Nehemiah prayed for strength and entrusted his enemy to God. Good, good practice. Lord, strengthen me. And then, Lord, take care of my enemies. David is great for that in the Psalms. He always, you know, he begins bummed out and he ends up just elated. And he says, Lord, you, you take care of them. <laughs> you know, he just hands them over to God. Now, we want to close with the third point. We've seen opposition from without, opposition from within. Within is more dangerous than without. Now, opposition fans the work. It should never discourage it. You get this in chapter 6, verse 15 through 19. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month and Elul the 52 days. In 52 days. And it happened when all our enemies heard of it. And all the nations around us saw these things that they were very disheartened in their own eyes for they perceived that this work was done by our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and the letters of Tobiah came to them. For many in Judah were pledged to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara, and his son Jehohanan had married the daughter of Mehalem, all these guys, and the son of Berechiah. And they reported his good deeds before me and reported my words to him, and Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. Opposition fans the work. Notice, first of all, in verse 15, the work was finished despite the warfare. It had been 13 years since Zerubbabel returned before any progress had been made. Now the walls have been finished in 52 days. The contrast, notice it, 13 years, 52 days? Man, despite the warfare, 52 days. Secondly, notice verse 16. The work was recognized to be of God through the warfare and despite the warfare. All their enemies heard of it and all the nations around them saw these things and all were disheartened in their own eyes and all perceived that the work was done by their God. Isn't it exciting when the warfare goes on and God's people are not discouraged or disheartened that the work goes on and it gets done and people around look and they have to say one thing, it has to be God. What a witness we are to be to the world. That's why Jesus said we're the light and salt of the earth. <laughs> Unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundant above all that we can ask or think. You know, if people would have told me or say that, you know, God was going to raise up a church through my life and, and, and purchase a building like this and, and just all that's gone on. I would, oh, no, 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 not me. Unto him 
who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Exciting, huh? A call to warfare is marked by opposition from without, opposition from within, and opposition fans the work. Man, this is encouraging. What does God have for us? Are you ready for it? Then you better be ready for warfare. Are you ready for battle? Today's challenge from Pastor Xavier Reese from a study titled, A Call to Warfare. And if you'd like to obtain a copy of this important message, we'd be happy to provide you with one upon request. For only $4, we'll send you a copy on CD. And this also includes what Pastor Xavier shared with us the last time we were together. So once again, the title to ask for is A Call to Warfare, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Again, that's Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please, don't forget to tell us the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This is one way we can gauge the impact of this outreach. Next time, the importance of following the Word of God. That's on the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com